You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. All right, so I'm going to jump into what, uh, what I've been ministering, and I really, my intention was uh, to minister this in one week, um, and here we are on, on week three, but I promise you I will finish it this week because um, I need to move on to some other things. But I, I, I got a couple, I have somebody sent me this, and I want to pull this slide up here, and I thought this really fits into, um, just hang on to it for a second, let me say this, this really fits into um, what, what I've been talking about, and it's really... Uh, my, my heart, and I believe God's heart is, is that we get prepared for what he has, and we get ourselves seated and ready in the right place, in the right mindset, to be able to do the work that he's called us to do. Because we're not supposed to be just about, get, just about gathering people and just about doing things as status quo. And this is what I believe is going to happen, is that as awakening happens uh, in, our, in our nation, in our land, there are going to be uh, lots of really good-hearted people that love God that are going to be shocked because they're not going to know what to do with it. And God's going to help them in that time. But I want to be, I want to be uh, forearmed and be ready to do the thing that God wants us to do to the highest capacity that we possibly can. And the biggest part of that is we have to change the way that we're thinking. We have to change the way that we're, we're looking at church not just church that meets on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, but I mean the church, the church of the Lord Jesus. What does it look like? In the Bible, I don't really think it's good to compare, but we are supposed to have a plumb line for what's true. And, and I'm not against technology. Like, we've, we've got technology, we've got air conditioning, and I love all that stuff. It's great. And so I'm fine with all of that. But if you want to look at what the church is really supposed to be like, you have to go back and you have to look at the original church. How did it operate? What was its governing system? What were the things that were, were uh, culturally involved with the people? What was the mindset? What did they major on? What, what was involved? What wasn't involved? Those kind of things, we have to be able to look at that. So I had somebody sent me this uh, earlier today, and uh, and let's pull this up. Pull the graph one up. Did you guys get those loaded in there? Okay, pull the graph one up. Not the, Oh, that was the funny one. All right, let's just look at that one. Go back to that one real quick. I thought this was a Facebook post, and I thought I might throw it up there. And uh, so it, it's cut off um, when I sent it to them, but it says, don't despise small beginnings. But you know, like, in this next slide I'm going to show you in just a second, it's like the whole thing is like uh, church isn't supposed to be about numbers. It's supposed to be about discipling people. That is the goal. Now, we want numbers. We want to disciple more people. We want to reach more people. Any minister, any person that says that they want things small, they need to check up from the neck up because God is interested in the masses. He's interested in multitudes of people coming to him. But we have to make sure that we're not putting the cart before the horse. It's not about having the numbers at the, the expense of really growing people up. This is why God gave us the vision statement, building strong people, 
building strong churches, plural. So we want to be a blessing to churches, multitudes of churches, multiple churches, but we want to build and strengthen people and help people become discipled. And so, you know, this is Jesus, of course, looking at his phone. It's like, you have 12 followers. Well, in today's world, I mean, nobody, anybody that's got a Facebook or Instagram account, I barely use my Instagram account, and I've got more followers than that, you know. And so, but that's the reality of the day. He, here you have the greatest minister that ever walked the face of the earth, that ever will walk the face of the earth. Jesus was the greatest, and he really only had 12 people that were really, really. Now, I think he had more than that at the very end. But even his 12, they, some of them still doubted. When he was resurrected from the dead, some of them still doubted whether it was really him or not. And those were the faithful 12. And so, anyways, it's just kind of a little funny thing. So let's pull, pull up the, uh, the next uh, picture there. And uh, so it's, this is looking at two sides. I'm going to make this comparison really quick, and then I'm going to get back into the message that I've been talking about. But I wanted to show you this because I thought someone just sent me this today, and I thought this really, really fits and brings some good explanation. I don't know. It was Wendy. It was your wife that sent it. I don't know where she got it from. Do you know, do you know where she got it from? I don't know, but whatever. It didn't come from me, and so I thought, and I texted her back, and I said, this looks really uh, familiar to me. And so when you look at the early church versus church today, and again, this isn't being critical. This is just having a plumb line for what are, what's church supposed to look like? And I use this verse often, but in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I just see, I just observe and I'm learning to not be critical, amen? But when you observe and you see the things that are going on, it looks like there's a whole lot of hellish things happening in churches, and the church is losing the battle in culture. It's losing the battle in the world. And so I don't want to be a, beat a dead horse with this, but I, I want our eyes to be open. So the early church was led by apostles. The church today was, um, was led by pastors, and that really caught my, my, attention, my attention because, of course, I'm talking about being an apostolic people, what that looks like, because that's what the early church uh, was. Um, so the early church, they gathered daily. The church today, uh, they gather once a week. And there's a lot I could say about that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with only having like your main corporate meeting once a week. You know, it's whatever. Every church is different. But it's the idea that you're with people. You're, you communicate with people. You connect with people not to be a middle-class social club, But your communion is around the, the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus because at the end of the day, it's the only thing that matters. It's the thing that is the most, it's the most important. It's why we're here on this earth. And so our meeting has to be, has to be around the Lord. So the early church focused on maturing the saints. Um, the church today as a whole focuses on caring for the saints. And there's nothing wrong with having care for the saints. If people are hurting or in need, we need to care for them. I, we, have a, we have a whole section of ministry called uh, the, the care team, the care team. And we do meals. And we had a meal in here for, uh, you know, Mike Sparks' family, you know, this past, which, by the way, they were so loved, so cared for. They gave it. They sent us money, which we weren't at, not doing that for, right? But we were just blessing them. But they sent us an offering and just said thanks. It felt so loved and blessed. And so you guys said did a great job. But um, so anyways, there's a place for caring, but um, the focus, we need to have a focus on maturing saints. And we've battled with this, um, not the idea of it, but we've battled with this for, for years because we've had this, um, this almost this, I guess we'll have people that will come in and they're like, this place is awesome. We feel so loved. We feel so accepted. And we just think this is awesome. And they stick around, and then a little bit later, they're like, yeah, I don't really want a part of this. 
And we try, what do we, what do we do? And for years, we're like, what are we doing? What are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? Nothing. We just have a focus on maturing people. I don't understand how people can. I do understand. I'm just trying to be nice, but I'll just say it. I don't understand how people can sit in a church for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and not grow. I mean, that doesn't even, it doesn't compute with me. So that, I'm just hardwired for growth. God's, but everybody, that's the, that's the nature of discipleship, which is the next one versus the modern church today is just about church membership, get people in, in numbers. And this isn't someone with small churches being critical of big churches. I love big churches. I know several big churches that do an amazing job discipling people. It's not about the numbers, but that's the deal. It's not about the numbers. It's really, are you discipling people? And a disciple is a learned one. It's one who has come under to be able to learn and have understanding concerning the word of, concerning the word of God and all that. So uh, the early church, they focused, I got to get through this faster. They focused on um, doctrinal teaching. Um, church today is topic-based teaching, and so you'll see a lot of that like, and, and I think we could do some things to be a little bit more hip and cool and drive some things home that might be more attractive, like, I, I don't know what it would be, like, you know, put your hat on for Jesus or something like that, you know, and then, then you just teach them the word, but I'm always like, God's love, faith in God, or whatever, you know, and so, but you have to hit um, doctrinal things from the word, theology versus psychology, so much I can say about that. Uh, deliverance and transformation versus counseling. Oh my gosh, we're supposed to be about setting people free and seeing them transformed. People ask me, they're like, how is your church doing? They don't, don't know anything about our church. I'll say, people's, we're in revival. And in their mind, they're thinking that we're like jumping pews and I'm standing up here with a hanky wiping my brow and, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff, um, which is, uh, could, be a, could be a form of revival. But then they'll go, oh, what's going on? And I'll say, people's lives are being transformed. Because to me, that's the true sign of what revival really looks like. And I'm fine with all the other stuff, but you, you, can, have, you can be jumping pews. I've been involved with circles of people to where you go into the meetings, and I mean, it was Pentecostal. And it was Kara's crazy-matic. And it was all of the stuff. They had all the goods. They had all the bells and whistles. But the people's lives were screwed up. What, what is that? That's people that got saved, got into some strange cultural stuff, and just got involved in things, but then they never continued to renew their mind so they could bring about the transformation that God really has in their life to really exemplify and, and, and manifest the life of Christ that God has for them. Um, so, I'm, again, I'm going so slow. Mission focus versus uh, in-house uh, focused. Um, the early church marked those who, who caused the... Vi- oh, yeah. I, I do this. When I saw this, I thought, yeah, validation. Which, I don't, I don't do that publicly. I, I've, I've never... I can't think of all my years that I've ever done that publicly. I, there was a time with a particular situation, a couple situations where I was close to it, and there's scriptural precedent. Paul wrote, and he wrote about so-and-so and said don't have anything to do with them because they're causing discord and so anyway I've never gone that far but I've had times where I'm like look you're causing trouble your butt is out of here and then versus a, a church today uh, they pray and protect those who cause division and sow seeds of discord it's because most of the way the church operates today they operate with a natural mindset 
if they see any way possible that they can get the people to, to be there at whatever expense, if long as they're in the seats, paying their tithes, stuff like that, then they want them to be there. For me, I don't care how much money anybody gives. I mean, I care. I mean, I care about those things. Don't catch me wrong. I, I, we take good care of the money. It's being um, used properly, all that stuff. I care about that. But in terms of, like, if someone's causing trouble, I've had at least, at least two, maybe three times, probably three times in our pastorate time that the biggest givers became the biggest problem, and so they had to go out the door. And we never missed them. Financially, we never missed them. What you compromise to keep, you will ultimately end up losing anyways. And if you compromise to keep people that sow discord, you're going to lose them in the end, and you're probably going to lose other people in the end. And so you can't cater to that kind of stuff. There's, just, there's a, there's a no-nonsense uh, policy in the Word of God for people that sow discord. Paul told this in uh, Titus uh, chapter, um, chapter 3, I believe it was. He says, reject or rebuke a divisive man after the first and second admonition, which I don't know why he gave first and second. But, but basically, I guess he was saying, if you're really gracious, Titus, <laughs> you can give him two chances, but probably just one. But if you, this is how Kent reads it. But if you want to give him two chances, you can. But after that, reject him, have nothing to do with him. For that man is warped and sinning. You can go and read it. That's what it says, Titus 3, somewhere 3, 3 and 3 or something like that. That's strong, that's strong language. You know, but there can't be a, there can't be a place for any discord. And in and in the end time church, it will be it will be so tight. It'll be so tight. And I've come to find out this is why at different times, and I hate to even say this, but it helps to bring some understanding. This is why people have said, especially in Perryville, you got they're they're a cult. I'm going to do a teaching sometimes on on, on sometime on what a cult is, so that everybody can clearly see that we are the complete opposite of a cult. Because a family loves each other. They support each other. They don't tolerate, they're covenant-minded. They don't tolerate any kind of disunity or anything like that. Uh, but a, a cult, people that are cultish, they're, in, they're into controlling. And we, we just don't do that kind of stuff. Anyways, whatever. So, But people, people that see a church functioning like a New Testament church, Christians, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. And, I, and a lot of times when you see people being critical, it's because, just because they're jealous that they don't have something that you have. Praise God. All right, this, this went on way longer than I intended, but uh, the early church had a strong emphasis on sending. The church today has a strong emphasis on gathering, and we need to gather and send, and I'm going to talk about that here in just a second, but we need to have this idea of go, go, go. God's called you to go, be in a place of being able to minister out to other people. All right, praise the Lord. Thank you, Wendy, for distracting me with that. That took way longer to get through than I planned. <laughs> Hallelujah. But that really fits into what I've been talking about here, and so We've just been talking about being, being an apostolic people or what that looks like. And again, using the term apostolic people is, trying to, is giving us language as to what the early church looked like. What, what do you call them? How do you describe them? And when you realize that they were led by apostles, they were not led by pastors. You cannot find that anywhere in the scriptures. They were led by, and the church was established on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And there is... Uh, plenty of bogus teaching that goes on that says that the apostles and the, and the prophets, particularly the apostles, that they died away with the early church. And that's just flat out, it's not, it's not true. It's not accurate. And uh, I give you all kinds of examples from the word and different things. 
as to why that's not true. But we're going to continue pressing on here. So we, I only got to number three out of, out of 12. So if you guys are writing this down, write down, and this is going to be a really fast list. Uh, number one, two, and three. Number one, and this, these are attributes of an apostolic people. Number one is they keep covenant as paramount. I want to preach on that again, but Jesus, no. Number two, um, I already preached on it twice here because <laughs> I did a review. All right, number two. Um, is that an apostolic people pursues unity while celebrating diversity. Um, number three, and this was the last one we got to last time, is that an apostolic people live in the realm of faith for the impossible. They live in the realm of faith for the impossible. So they just think different than other, how other people think. Have you ever, had, you ever approached somebody before and, you know, they've got this impossible situation and you go, you know what, that's no problem for God. And they look at you like, you know what? People will want to draw on you when you know God and when you're confident in God. I had this guy that I was really close friends with. And when I started getting a hold of the word and the fact that God wanted us to be healed and that he loved us and we had authority and stuff, man, he, he kept me at arm's length to say the least. And uh, I went, we were in youth group together when we were younger in his particular denomination and whatever. And, um, and then one day when I was in Bible school, I get this call from him. And it was really funny, actually. Uh, he, he said, will you pray for me? And I'm thinking, he's got parents that are believer, believers. His wife's parents are believers. He goes to a church with a pastor, obviously, who is a believer. But he knew that there was something about me that, that believed. And he said, I, I, have, I have hemorrhoids. Will you, will you please pray for me? I thought I hadn't heard from the guy in years. And he calls me out of the blue and tells me he has hemorrhoids. He must have he really been hurting. And... Uh, so, but whenever, whenever, <laughs> whenever people, uh, when they need somebody, they're looking for robust, faith-filled people who, who can believe God. Amen? You're the, you're the answer to, to people's hemorrhoids. I got to tell you. Oh, man. Uh, so, I got to tell you a true story. This is a true story. Some of you have heard this probably. Huh? Yes, I am. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. I am going to finish. My, my, and I wish my dad was here. And maybe some of you guys, when uh, you know, we, we reconvene next week or whatever, you need to bring him some transmission fluid, all right? Because uh, don't, don't go out and spend money on it. But if you got some extra laying around. He, he had this friend. This is true. He'll swear to it. He had this friend that called him. And he was, they, he was just brand new baby in the Lord. So he was in his you know, mid-20s. And he called him and said, uh, he said, Mark, he said, I, I need help moving. <laughs> my, my dad said, he said, man, I can't. He said, I got a, he said, I got a uh, hemorrhoid. And he said, I can't, I can't lift anything. That's right. Dad tells the story. So um, I can say, I can repeat it. And, uh, and he said, that's no problem. He said, we'll get you healed up. He said, just come on over here, and we'll anoint you with oil and get you healed up. And he goes, all right. So he gets in his car, and he drives over to his friend's house, and he gets transmission fluid and prays for him, anoints him with transmission fluid. Talk about putting things in gear. And, um, <laughs> and he gets totally healed, totally healed, just like that. See, it's not about the elements he uses. It's about the faith that's attached to it, Amen. True story. You can ask him. When he's here next week, you can ask him. I'm totally healed. But some, somebody needs to bring him some transmission fluid and be like, oh, I just heard. The Lord's just telling me because he, he probably won't watch this. So, um, But anyways, praise God. 
Oh, hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? It's good to have some fun. All right, here we go. Number four, an apostolic people, they pioneer new works. They pioneer new works. If you miss Liz's message this morning, you need to go back and listen to it on the podcast um, or on YouTube or whatever she talked about. Uh, I don't know what you... I have 12, and then you took 12. I talked about 12 attributes of an apostolic people, and then you taught a message about 12 attributes of a, of a pioneer, of the pioneering spirit. Yeah, and so anyways, all right, whatever. Praise God, it's good. Um, so uh, anyways, but the apostolic people pioneer new works, which means that you do all the things necessary to break through and start new things and have. And aren't you thankful for the people? Aren't you thankful for Martin Luther? I mean, come on. I mean, we look back and be like, okay, some of his doctrine wasn't right because we've got some more revelation that's continued through the years from the word that we've gained understanding. But praise God for Martin Luther. He pioneered. Praise God for for, uh, John Wesley. Praise God for Evan Roberts. Praise God for Smith Wigglesworth. Praise God for Oral Roberts. Praise God for... Andrew Walmack, praise God for Kenneth Hagin, praise God for all these ones who have pioneered that have brought new understanding to the church. They've started new works, and it's propelled us forward and higher and, and onward, and that's how apostolic people think is they, they pioneer new things. They pioneer new works. Praise God. Number five is they celebrate the opportunities of others. They celebrate others, and the whole thing about uh, people being uh, uh, in competition is just, it's just total nonsense. As a matter of fact, I was going to say this earlier, and I, I forgot about this, uh, I, and I, got, I interrupted myself, which I've done a lot tonight, but um, I get loopy at night, so you, you, I feel like you guys get maybe, I'm not as sharp at night, but I'm a little bit more fun, so it's kind of a toss-up. Um, but this is true. Whenever you have uh, my, a friend of mine, super smart, uh, wealthy business guy, he was talking to me about, we were talking about business, and he was talking about coffee shops in particular, and he said, some people think that when you have, say, like a coffee shop in an area, and then another coffee shop comes, comes into that area, it seems like it's competition, and it is competition, but what happens is that there's an awareness brought, and more people get interested in coffee, and then if another coffee shop opens up, what happens statistically is that the first and the second coffee shop will even do better as the third one. Now, at some point, they can only handle so much. But uh, it brought this really great point at that it's like the more people we have that are serving Jesus and on fire for Jesus, even if it's other churches, and I'm, I'm not looking to send people in this community with the same flavor to start another church right down the road. That wouldn't make sense to me. But if other people come in and they've got different flavor or whatever, let's, let's celebrate the work that they're doing. That is outside of the house, and it's also within the house. And we dealt with this um, for years with people that it was like when so-and-so would get promoted and the Holy Spirit would show me that those people would have a jealous spirit. Like he would show me like there's jealousy there. The Lord, when you're leading something, the Lord will show you things. And I would watch and I would see that when they got promoted, they had opportunities, they were able to do things, God used them instead of those people. And, And I mean, there were multiple sets of people. It wasn't a particular set. Those people, I'd watch them, and sure enough, they couldn't celebrate the victory of other people. And that's not good because you're going to reap what you sow. And if you're not celebrating other people when they have success, you're not going to have other people celebrate you when you have success. Well, if you're in this house, you will because that's just how it goes. Amen. Um, so in apostolic people, um, they also, and, and let me say one more thing about that, 
is that celebrating other people, this is the spirit of Jesus. It's the nature of who Jesus is because Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do. And what else? And even greater works will you do. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't intimidated or concerned that somebody would go further than him. And, and I don't really think that G, anyone's gone further than Jesus yet, although there are works that I believe yet to be done that are, that are greater because Jesus said it, and he was talking in terms of miracles. I believe that there are miracles that are, that are going to happen. I really believe this, that are going to be on greater proportion than, than what Jesus saw because Jesus said it was, was going to happen. But to my point, he wasn't concerned that somebody would go further than him. We had this lady years ago. And she was in charge, I'll just say it, it's been enough years. She was in charge of the, of the kids' ministry. And every time that somebody would come underneath of her that was really gifted in kids' ministry, they could never get anywhere underneath of her. They wouldn't have opportunities. They wouldn't grow. And, and I, didn't know, I didn't know much back then. I know a lot now, you know, but um, still don't know a lot. I'm just, we're learning, amen. But uh, I know more now for sure, but uh, I didn't get, I didn't understand what was going on, that every, every time that this lady would have people come underneath of her, she would do anything for that person so long as they didn't steal any of her thunder. And I wouldn't go into all the stories and the details, but it was, it was, just, a, it was just a jealous, controlling spirit that was going on in the situation. It came to a really, really bad head, um, and that's why you don't put people in position. I know now that's why you don't put people in position who have got uh, issues like that. You test people, and you let people show what they're, what they're really like, but you have, people have to celebrate other people. It is the spirit of Jesus that when somebody gets promoted, that we go, praise God, the kingdom is advancing. Because if somebody is jealous about the advancement of somebody else, they really are in it for themselves. They're not in it for the Lord. Because the Lord, he doesn't carry that spirit, and so neither should we. Amen? Um, so number six is an apostolic people, they gather and send. So it's not, there's nothing wrong with gathering. It's just that there's something wrong when that's the only thing that you do. We're supposed to gather and we're supposed to send. So the gathering... Uh, looks like, I think, evangelistic works. It looks like uh, ways that we love people and we communicate with people and we yeah, even having door greeters and different things like that. Um, those are ways of gathering people in because we have something to offer them. But the goal is, is that we raise them up into maturity, that we send them. Uh, I, I am fully convinced that every person has a call of God on their life. And what's happened is that the church, and I'm including me in this because we're still learning how to do this, but the church has left people orphaned. Because what's happened, and we've been in these circles, we've seen these things, and it's like, you know, the pastor's kid, uh, obviously he's got a call on his life, and, you know, he can really play the guitar, or he can really, you know, lead a study, or he, you know, he's really got it going on. And so, you know, they get, they get called out, or you got that one special kid that's just super talented, and they get the words, you got to call a God on your life, you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to go to the nations, all of this stuff. And all of the calling, and the prophecy, and the releasing that happens is all about people in the, in the fivefold ministry. It all revolves around people doing ministry inside of the church. Last time I checked, and this is statistically true, 
The fivefold ministry is approximately 3% of the body of Christ. So if you're only calling out the gifts that are in 3% of the people, what happens to the other 97% of the people? Here's what happens. They either get orphaned or they get put into a wrong position. Because they see other people getting, getting validated in what God's called them to do. And then you have brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so that they're looking for validation or they're looking to do something significant. And if the guy up in, in the pulpit is the one that's doing something significant, I want to do something for God. And the next thing you knew, they, next thing you know, they go start a church or they go on the mission field. They do something they were never called to do. Happens all the time. One of the biggest reasons why so many uh, pastors fail and churches fail is because they're not called to do it. I mean, there are plenty that are called to do it. And, you know, we give into them and we help them when we bless them. But many that, are, that do it, are, they're not even called to do it. And the reason they're doing it is because they have a good heart. At some point, they had a good heart, maybe still do. And they're just wanting to accomplish something. But there is this whole other realm of ministry that the church has never even breached the doors in their thinking of what it looks like. That being the other spheres of influence that go on in the world. Government, business, education, arts and entertainment, family, and I miss it, media, that's six. Huh? I said education, and then the church is the seven. There's these seven, if you go and study, there's basically seven spheres or seven mountains, or there's seven areas that need to be touched by the church. It's not the pastors or the, the apostles or the senior leaders of the church to go and do all of that. It's the people within the church being equipped and, listen, being called out and recognized you have a call in your life into whatever area of society, and we need to be training and teaching and equipping people to go into those areas to reach those people and those fears and stop trying to turn everybody into a, a, a pastor, Stop trying to turn everybody into a, a minister inside. If you get everybody trying to do all the ministry inside the church, it becomes a cat fight. I mean, just human, even good-loving people, they'll be like, well, I thought, I, where's my opportunity? You need to find opportunities out there. The church is supposed to gather, but it's supposed to send people. And it's, it's not really, it's not my job to be like, you know, God's called you to this and you need to go to this place and get this job. You hear the Holy Ghost on those kind of things. But when you come in here, I'm going to give you what you need to empower you to go into the place to take the gospel to the place that God has called you to go into. If you're called to be a lawyer, go in there, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. If you're called into the medical field, Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. If you're called into the education system, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. If you're called to be a construction worker, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. You have the same commission everywhere you go. It's just that your individual call looks different based on what the Holy Spirit has, has given you, what he's placed upon you, the mantle that's on your life. Go and be that. If God wants you to, I tell you this, if I could have done anything else but, but do what we're doing now, she knows we would have done it. Because there were years where like, we, gotta, we, gotta, we can't do this anymore. We can't. If God's called you into five-fold ministry, he's called you to pastor, he's called you as a, as a missionary, I mean, something to, that effect, something to that effect, you put your heart before the Lord, 
you won't miss it. Because if you try to go away from it, he won't let you go away from it. That's just, that's just how that works. But really, it's true with, with whatever call you have in your life. And if you're in transition, you go, I don't think this is the ultimate call, but this is where I'm at. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, all that. I forget what the, the whole list was. I did pretty good. I said it like six times in a row. Woo, good job, Ken. Um, I can't even reach my back, really. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus. So, hallelujah, we're going to gather and we're going to sin. I'm on number six. You might be right. You prophesied. Um, number seven. No, I'm doing it. Number seven. If I have to barrel through, I'm going to do it. Number seven. Uh, I'm going to say this one quick. Um, they appoint, empower, and support leaders. There's so much I could say about that. Um, an apostolic people appoints, they empower, and they support leaders. Oh, Jesus, I got to move on. Number eight. An apostolic people establishes. Oh, I love this. I may not move off this. Yes, I am. I'm going to give the whole list. But Jesus, this is so awesome. Number eight, an apostolic people establishes heavenly culture even when it violates institutional norms. I come to find out that this is my natural bent. Like I, I, there's something in me that just loves to stir the pot a little bit. I just, I have a little bit of that in me. And I really don't like to stir the pot in the sense of I don't want people to be upset. I'm not, I don't, I don't like to offend people. But sometimes people's um, they, they need to be offended to reveal what's in them. How's the saying go? Offend, God will offend your heart, uh, mind to reach your heart? Is, is that what it is? To reveal your heart. God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. And that's what, um, that's what robust, faith-filled, on-fire, forward-moving, pioneering, apostolic people do is that they push, they move, and when they do that, oftentimes it goes against the institutional norms. It goes against the way that everything else has been. And I'm just fine with that. That's fine. I'm fine with it. I, in fact, I had a guy, because this just comes out. I, sometimes I'll think, okay, I'm going to give a real, just a, a calm, simple message, and I'm just going to encourage the saints, no matter how hard I, I try to do it, it, just, it I can't, it's just like I can't do it. It's, it's always like, come on, let's go. I mean, it's just, that's in me. And I had this guy one time, he was an older guy, and he said, I heard this through the grapevine. Well, his wife ended up telling, I think it was you or maybe somebody else, he said, can't he just leave us alone? <laughs> and when I got back to me, I was like, mm, no, no, my God, I, can't, I can't do that. Because if you're here, my responsibility, and, I'm, I'm, and anybody that knows me, I'm very loving. I'm, I mean, I, I really love people. But I, don't, I, can't, I can't watch people waste their life and just be okay with that. And when I say waste your life, it's not a heaven or a hell issue, but it, we're supposed to be more than just get saved and just sit. God didn't intend for When Jesus said, go, he meant go. Into all the world, go into all the world. And, you know, I think a lot of times people get frustrated and they're like, I you know, we tried that. We tried to preach and we tried to help people. It just it didn't work out. I'll be honest with you, trying to reach people is tough. It's really tough. And so then, then you get, get people that, you know, you get these knuckleheads that will stand on the street corner and say everybody else is doing it wrong. And they'll get a bull, bullhorn out and condemn everybody to hell on the street corner. Let me tell you, that is not the way to reach people. 
And so we're always looking for ways to try to reach people and help people and minister to people. It is not an easy thing to do. It's not. It's not. People are difficult, especially in our country because everybody's got their needs met. That's why, that's why Jesus said it's harder for uh, a rich man than a poor man to enter in. You can have money and go into the kingdom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die really wealthy. Amen. I believe God wants us to be super blessed. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with having money. He's not supposed to have, allow money to have you. Amen. But. It's harder for a rich man to enter in because when you have people that have money, they have stuff, they feel like everything is just fine. It just feels like their life is fine. And you, we found this, we've done a lot of, you know, different outreach stuff over the years. You find people that don't have stuff, they don't have, and maybe even some of their basic needs, they'll listen to you easier than somebody that lives in a nice big fancy house with nice cars, and they don't want to listen to what you have to say most of the time because their life is going just fine, which goes to tell you how people view God. They view God like this, the slot machine. He's never meant to be about that. He's the, he, God is God and deserves all the praise and worship and honor. He deserves everything about our life for the rest of our life just because he is God. And it doesn't matter what we have or what we don't have. And so um, our job, I believe, as apostolic people is to establish heavenly culture. And this is why I refused... And I'm getting ahead of myself. I can say this later. But I'll just say this. I refuse to have um, service without having attention drawn towards the Lord, without having, without having worship. I literally have had people tell me, um, well, you could just do worship, you know, at the end, which is, you know, whatever. You can do whatever you want to do, I guess, you know, as long as you worship the Lord. But, you know, I've had people almost, well, you just worship too long and do too, whatever. The deal is, is that you have to give Jesus his rightful place. We ha- we, we're re- requi- not under law like it's legalistic, but we're required to do that because he's worthy. And that's bringing heavenly culture to where we're at because in heaven, we're going to be worshiping Jesus throughout all eternity. And we won't have to battle flesh, amen. We'll want to do it. I mean, come on, let's be honest. How many times you come in and you're just thinking, oh, and you're distracted with this, that, or the other, and the person next to you's got bad breath, and blah, 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 blah. We won't have all the natural stuff that we have to deal with. Right? It'll just be all the flesh stripped away, and it'll just be us, and it'll be Jesus, and it will be so easy. But so now it's not about whether it's convenient or not, because oftentimes it's not, but it's about obedience. And a, and a heavenly culture is partly is one to where uh, putting Jesus' central focus is, is one of the main things that we're supposed to do. There's so much more that I could say about that. Let me, let me say this. Um, when this doesn't happen... Heaven's best is sacrifice for the sake of earthly norms. When this doesn't happen, heaven's best is sacrifice for the sake of earthly norms. Then you have, um, you have all kinds of man's traditions and things that get in the way because people come together and they got to do something. I mean, we're the church. We're called together and we're called to do something. We got to do something. And if you don't have attention on heaven, you're not drawing from heaven, there's not the give and take with heaven with the, with the Lord, then people are going to end up doing something and it becomes man-made, ritualistic stuff that people do. And really all it is, it's just like in the Old Testament when there, there was a time when the Ark of the Covenant, I believe it was in the camp of the Philistines, if I remember at this time, and the priest... We're still doing their duties and their stuff, and you could still see smoke that was coming up as if 
the presence of God was still in the midst of them when indeed the presence of God was not there. It was somewhere else. I don't, what a picture of what that can look like for the church to where the presence of God is not even there in their midst, but they're still doing a bunch of stuff. I mean, read, read the book of Revelation, especially the first few chapters. And if you could put yourself, if you could put yourself in the shoes of a pastor, uh, uh, the senior leader of a church, read those, those chapters, and it will make you understand the weightiness of what a senior leader that has a fear of God in them, why they would say the kind of things I'm saying right now. Because Jesus, Jesus walked in the midst of them, and he knew firsthand their works. And out of the seven churches, five of them, to only two of them, did he not reprimand for things that they were doing wrong. Five of them he reprimanded because he said, I have this against you, and 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 I have this against you. Only two that he, did he not say, I have this against you. And I determined years ago, Jesus, when you walk in the midst of my church that you've called me to shepherd, I'm going to be one of the two that you can walk in and you won't say that I have this against you. I, I, I have a fear. I'm not afraid of God, but I have a reverence for God that I don't want to do anything outside of what he's wanting to have, what he's wanting to have done. I have to finish this because I can't go on next week. Number nine, uh, an apostolic people makes the gospel message clear. The gospel message has to be clear. You ever been around people that they didn't understand the gospel? They were believers for years. I know but I have, we've had people come into our church and, you know, they'll come forward and get saved three or four times in a row. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I mean, I'm glad you're saved, and I'm glad your heart's towards the Lord, but you only got to get saved once. The gospel's clear. You put your faith in Christ, you become eternally redeemed, it's a done deal, and then you serve the Lord for the rest of your life. The gospel has to be clear, and with apostolic people, it definitely is. Paul was an apostle, and he made the gospel abundantly clear. It's not a confusing issue. It's not confusing, and it shouldn't be confusing how you get saved and what happens when you get saved. It should be abundantly clear. It's one of the most common things that people ask me, and they're, they're usually not asking directly because they don't know how to ask directly. But there's some kind of conversation that will happen from their heart to me revealing, like, I don't know if I'm okay with God. And it's either because they don't know what they have to do to be okay with God or they have done what's necessary to be okay with God, but they're not sure if it's stuck. It should be so clear. You, it's faith in Christ and then you don't get saved or stay saved because of your works, but it's because of the finished work of the cross. Period. It's Jesus plus nothing. Hallelujah. Number 10. Look, I'm down to the last three. Number 10. An apostolic people confronts, this is attribute number 10, confronts heresy in the realms of conduct and doctrine. So much I want to say. <laughs> but know this, that it's, it, is, it is, and that's not for everybody to run around you know, these, uh, these people, God bless them. They get on, you know, and they make these websites and get on YouTube. And, you know, you see this stuff and they're blasting this person and that person. I'm thinking, you don't, even, you don't have the authority to do that. You, you have to be called of God and have the authority to confront. But within that, within that culture and within an apostolic people, there's a really great way that surfaces 
that people will feel free and want to be confronted about what's going on in their life, both about doctrine and about conduct. I'm going to move on. Number 11, an apostolic people knows and displays, displays God's true nature. God's true nature, his true nature, who he truly is. He's a God of love. He's, that's, that's his nature. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that God is love. It's also true to say it the other way. Love is God. If, if it's impossible, but if it were possible to hold God in your hand, it would be love. I'm convinced that's what you would be holding in your, in your hand. If you could make it manifest in physical form, it would be love is what you would be holding in your hand. Everything about God is who he is. That's who his true, that's who his true nature is. And number 12, um, and this is a combination of two different things, is that apostolic people are both presence-centered and they are spirit-led. They're presence-centered and they are spirit-led. Presence-centered, and I mentioned this briefly, this happens because of worship or it happens through worship. Being spirit-led happens through prayer. So being presence-centered happens through worship. That's worship is not about, it's not about feeling. It's 735. Give me five more minutes. <clears throat> it's not about feelings. Worship is not about how we feel. It's about the one that is worthy of every ounce of everything spirit, soul, and body that we can give to him and making a choice, making a decision to worship him. And I, I listen, people and their relationship with the Lord, everybody's got their own relationship with the Lord. And I, and I love that. I honor that. I have my own relationship with the Lord. But can I just minister to you for a second? It's good to come into the house of God with the people because he inhabits the praises of his people. It's a collective thing that happens. He inhabits the praises of you driving down the road and all that too. I don't mean that. But there's something special about when we come into the presence of God together. And what does praise look like anyways? What praise wouldn't look like is just having a, a heart that was there where you didn't open your mouth, you never sang a word, you never lifted your hands. You never made any forward movement towards the Lord. Just having a good heart is not worship. It's not praise. It's not, it's not having him centered. Having him centered is where you take your whole person, and I'm not saying you do goofy stuff, but you submit your whole person to him because that's the very best you, you have to offer. And even if it's not good enough, which is anything really good enough for the Lord? I mean, he's just so amazing. But even if it's not good enough, it doesn't matter. It's the reality of your, you saying, Lord, everything belongs to you. And I'm going to put you at the very forefront. And your presence is centered in my life. And we do that by worshiping him. And worship looks just like that. It's good to raise your hands. Are you under law? No, you don't have to. You, you don't have to. You're not going to go to hell if you don't raise your hands, you know. It's good to uh, raise your hands. It's good to shout. 
it's good to dance. It's good to do those things because you're saying I'm laying down uh, maybe some of my natural wants and tendencies and I'm pushing past because Jesus, you are worthy. That's being presence-centered. Being spirit-led happens through prayer. And I believe that this is one of the most, being spirit-led happens through prayer. And I believe this is one of the most key elements that has to happen in the latter, the latter church, the end-time church, is that our prayer time, and prayer is a discipline. Worship is a discipline, and prayer is a discipline. And we can all increase in this. I'm increasing more and more in this all the time. We pray, Liz and I, we pray more than we ever have, and we're looking for opportunities and ways that we can spend more time in prayer before the Lord. And it's not begging God for anything, but it's saying, Lord, we want to posture our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our lives to be led by your spirit. I don't want to do anything in my life that's outside of your spirit leading me in the direction that it's supposed to go. We're called, we're called to do that. And guess what? You got the Holy Ghost in you? You got a relationship with the Lord? You can hear God and you can be led by his spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.